Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 74 to Monterey. That is a great city. What a joy that I know I talked about it in the last episode, but I'm excited to talk about it more. <laughs> yeah, but Mexico lost in the World Cup. Yeah, and they did so well and they tried so hard and that yeah. match was infuriating. Sorry, Brazilian friends, but Neymar, <laughs> holy cow. And there, you know, I guess the, this has been the most meme-tastic World Cup because the world's been overtaken by memes, but he has been the source of some wonderful memeing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <indeed. laughs> there's some great, the great ones going around. I think that's probably the only thing he's contributed to this World Cup. I'm guilty of uh, retweeting a lot of views on my Twitter account. Yeah, I, I love memes. Every time there's something like the World Cup, it's always so much fun. Yeah, there's been some great ones. We are actually recording, guys, as we said in the last episode, the next day, so the fourth of July. So happy fourth, Alex. Thank you very much. <laughs> Doing that in the UK, I don't know how that feels. Uh, probably not as good as being in the UK. <laughs> But, guys, this will not be live up to probably the end of the World Cup, actually. Yeah, this we'll is the know 14th, who the winner is. Meaning some of the stuff we're going to be talking about today might be irrelevant by the time you guys hear this. But since Alex will be transiting to the U.S. and I will be in Asia when this is on, we said, okay, let's record another one. So there's content and then... We'll record again afterwards when we're both most settled for the rest of the summer. Yeah. Because we're not traveling a lot this summer, either of us. No, but every time we say that, something <laughs> comes up. So I'm, 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 I'm going to hedge and say I'm not as traveling as much in July as I did in May and June. I think that's probably <laughs> the closest to reality that I'll be able to state with any confidence. <laughs> it's true, actually. Uh, well, it's still six flights for me in July, but that's it. And then August, honestly, for the moment, I have nothing, nothing books, nothing planned. And I hope it stays that way. I might have a wedding at the tail end of August in Greece. But besides that, I really want to not travel for a month. It would be really nice. Anyway, we'll talk about more about that when we get to these episodes. And then suddenly, oh, we're traveling 50K. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the games yesterday, of course, Switzerland lost. Well, I'm very unhappy. Yeah, obviously. that was a heartbreaker. The game was even. So, you know, whatever. But England, England won England a penalty shootout. Penalties. <laughs> miracles never cease. It was a great way to exercise some demons for the for the England team, especially with Gareth Southgate, who missed a penalty in Euro 98 and, and knocked them out. No, Euro 96, and were knocked out as a result. So it was a nice way to close that long chapter in the England football team's history. I, I don't think that England has ever won a penalty shootout in the World Cup. I, Not in the World I, Cup, was, no. Yeah, it was the first time. So, I mean, it was really fun because my entire neighborhood was breathing and leaving through all the actions, especially the penalty shootouts, every single one I could hear the entire neighborhood go like, Woo, wow, no! Oh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I, 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 the anxiety and heartburn that this nation felt collectively must have just been extraordinary. On the other end as well, actually, Colombia, Bogota Airport, so the capital of Colombia, they delayed and suspended all the flights during the extra time because the game went through extra time and the penalty kicks. And during the penalty kicks to allow everyone to see the game. <laughs> that's pretty great, isn't it? I love that. That's pretty great. I think that 
you can't be mad at that if you're a passenger because it's the World Cup. It happens once every four years. Deal with it. Yeah, and it's what, 40 minutes, you know, probably like an average delay time in some busy airports. So anyway, but I mean, and there were some pictures you could clearly see, like, I don't know if it was a departure hall or where it was it, but it was like filled with people looking at the screens. It's almost as if they replaced, you know, the, the boards where you should be having the departure times with like the match. So good. <laughs> so good. Fantastic. So sorry, Colombian friends, but at least that's dedication. That's dedication. We yeah. love that. Yeah. Uh, that reminds me, actually, uh, July 17th, 1994, that was the final of the World Cup in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, that was a Sunday. And I was at the Army back then. And uh, it was my first ever weekend off. So, you know, the Army in Switzerland gives you some weekends off. And I was so I went back to see my family. That's in brackets because I went back to drink, obviously. And, uh, and, <laughs> and it went into also extra time and penalty kicks. And... Because of the time difference, I think that the, he started playing, it was in LA, he started playing at 12.30 LA time. So it meant that at midnight, extra time ended and we were about to go to penalty kicks. And I remember we were in the train station next to our barracks and our officers were telling us, hey, recruits, you have to go back to your barracks. You know, that, that was the law. At midnight, you have to be in the barracks. And I was like, no, no, we're all shouting, no. And I will always remember because this one guy in my unit had a mobile phone in 1994. Wow. That was a brick. And basically, I lived through the penalty kicks through his voice because he was under the bed sheets trying to get the score. So I, I, I'm always been pissed because I missed that. You know, I supported Italy. It was Italy against Brazil. And I missed the miss from Baggio, where Roberto Baggio, when he missed yeah, the last penalty. And that, that's where a Brazil won. I always have a soft spot for Italy when they are in the World Cup, whether or not this time. So anyway, that reminded me of that uh, moment. Nothing to do with aviation, guys. Sorry, we're talking about football or soccer for our American friends. Uh, but I mean, we're happy. English saw it through. More games upcoming. And again, by the time this is released, probably you will know the winner of this World Cup. England? Who knows? Yeah, it's wide but open. And that's exciting. That's what made, that's made this World Cup so great. Yeah. <laughs> Actually... <laughs> Belgium is also a team I, I enjoy a lot because they are an outsider. We said that in a previous episode. We love outsiders and outliers. They're very good as well. Two reasons why I support them. Three, because of the outsiders first. Second is uh, one of my biggest clients, all the management team is our Belgians, so I need to come. Uh, nice. <laughs> but also, and I want to, because I forgot to say that in the last episode, I want to thank Rob, a good friend, Belgian friend in Tokyo, because he invited me to see Belgium Panama, where Belgium won three nil in the embassy in the Belgian embassy in Tokyo. That was past midnight due to the time zone difference, and that was so epic. That's so <laughs> cool! What a I've great never, place to watch the game. And I've never seen an ambassador like that. They were like, it was shouting. Everybody was shouting. It was super fun. Actually, it was really, really super that's so fun. great. Anyway, guys, uh, nothing to do with aviation. Uh, uh, also, hi to Gen Kanai because actually I have met uh, Gen Kanai in Tokyo. He was uh, he lives in uh, Shanghai now, but he was in Tokyo when I was there, and he's always giving us a lot of the news. And I forget, sorry, Gen, to acknowledge that some of the news comes from him, especially these days where my notes makes no sense. But that was that was really cool to see him. He says hi to you, Alex. Obviously, uh, we also mulled over some ideas for the podcast. We'll talk about that in, f in further episodes. Cool. 
And one one uh, correction uh, from the last episode, I said that a seaplane was a DHC, so de Havilland three. Uh, of course, not. And I'm sure that some of you might have realized that it's a DHC six. The three stopped production probably like in the 80s or something. So no, they're not using that old planes. <laughs> it's a DHC six otter. The seaplane I was telling you about, guys, in the last episode. I don't know why I kept saying three. I don't. I, anyway. So well, you know you what? Can, I'm doing a I'm doing a seaplane flight in a couple no of weeks yeah where and in seattle for a little tiny travel show that you may or may not have heard of so the, the, are they are they leaving from what the, the marina or whatever the the coast and the, how how does it work yeah they they do it out of oh what the heck is the name of the place oh you lake union terminal there's a there's a seaplane terminal there at lake union which is pretty much in downtown and wow and they use uh dhc3s and DHC two is turbine and non turbine, so I'm I'm looking forward to that. Wow, that's amazing! Are they allowed to fly over the city as well? Yep. Uh, I mean, that's the thing because in so many cities in Europe, when you have these kind of things, it's so re- at least Western Europe, you're basically forbidden to fly over the city, right? It's like uh, you can see the city from afar, but uh, yeah, wow, that's that's so cool, man. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I haven't been in a, and I've never been in a seaplane, at least not that I can remember. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Oh, we'll compare our experiences when we when you get there, actually. Yeah. Well, well, since we're on that, another plane that you've flown recently that uh, is also on the dying side because we're seeing less and less of them, the Everliner. So how was that? Because oh. I think, don't think you ever told us. That was so great. It was just, it, it's such a unique airplane. And it's, as you say, it's dying. I mean, there's so, there's so many unique things about it. It's T-tail, which you don't often see anymore on... Uh, airplanes they don't make them anymore the four engines for short haul which is just silly now <laughs> we realize <laughs> that we don't need to do that and even then i mean how what i don't think that there are any four engine regional jet airplanes i don't think so either no you know the high wing jets they don't exist they're almost exclusively for military airplanes because they need more space in the vertical space in the fuselage so those three things make it such a rare airplane and sitting, it was on. I, I flew London City, to, which is perfectly suited for that airplane. It was one of the yeah. first airplanes that was certified to go into, into Lucy. I saw some of some of those actually when I was there uh, last week. Actually, yeah, yeah, it's great. And and uh, over just over to Dublin on City Jet, and we did a little project with City Jet, so we we're able to go down on the tarmac, right at the edge of the the taxiway at Lucy, which was just fantastic. And it's it's a loud, clunky airplane, <laughs> but it's such a joy to fly because it's British aviation or aeronautical engineering at its finest and rarest. I think you just they're 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 a dying breed. They've got this like beautiful, tough landing gear, so they can really fly anywhere. They don't have reverse thrust at all because it doesn't need them. So it's got these full width wing spoilers that come out as soon as the wheels touch the ground, and it's got these. This wonderful um, spoiler that appears at the back of the airplane as well, which you'll see it when it's landing, not even when it touches down, but when it's 150 feet above the thing, it sort of opens up from the very back of the fuselage and creates the drag, which slows the airplane down. It's it's just such a wonderfully funny looking airplane, and I just absolutely loved flying on it. <laughs> like I said when we mentioned it, I haven't flown it in quite a while. Swiss used to have some. I know Lufthansa also had some, and I've flown both. I've never flown CityJet with it, or maybe I have, but 
a long, long time ago, a time when I was not tracking yeah. <laughs> my flights. <laughs> I, I think I'm the same. I think perhaps I did in the in the very distant past, but it's not something that I can recall and wasn't as rare back then. I, no, but actually, you yeah. know, I say it, I talk about them like they're, you know, vintage cars, but both airplanes that I flew on were no older than a, a BA777 oh, okay. or, yeah. or a sort of older BAA320 and certainly younger than all of the BA747s. They just stopped production, they I just, think. Yeah, they stopped right? production on them uh, enough for them to, to still be reasonably rare, especially on our shores. But it was it was less about the comfort. It certainly wasn't about the comfort of the airplane itself. CityJet was, was great. But it was more about the heritage, the legacy, the provenance of that airplane, the story of that airplane, the ingenious and and typically British engineering choices. Yeah, it felt. I've talked about it in you know so many episodes that it's something I've, I've wanted to do. So I I I have a massive amount of gratitude to uh, CityJet for making it happen. And we, like I said, we did a little project with them, which hopefully the fruits of which you'll see soon. Really hope to see that soon because, I did, guys, I didn't have the preview for that, so I'm, I'm going to see it as as soon as you all see it as well. We'll talk about it here as soon as this is released, obviously, so you can actually see it. That will be a, an attaché, as always, with Alex, you know, because we are the voice thing. He's the video star uh, of YouTube. <laughs> well, <laughs> That's I don't know about that, but... The vlog star. <laughs> uh, um, a few messages. I'm going to scatter them around during this show because we want to mention as many people as possible. We could take the time. Of course, our friend Ed Parsons yeah. told us to our ever quest to find pizza that there is pizza in the lounge in Stockholm Arlanda T3 in the Aurora Lounge, but he says he won't recommend it. So, well, it's pizza, but if Ed says it's no good, I'm not going to try to go there. I've been there. Oh, no, I'm thinking of the Copenhagen. I think, is it Aurora, Aurora right? The lounge yeah, there? Correct. Yes. Yeah, correct. Yeah, I think they have a couple of lounges in, in Scandinavia, and they're very, very good, but apparently their pizza isn't, so I'll avoid it. But I mean, honestly, <laughs> pizza pizza anywhere outside of a decent pizza joint is is rarely good. So yeah, it's no, more I, the novelty of having it in the lounge, right? I mean, we said Turkish, this one. I think I've received another message but I cannot find it because, again, that's a problem. We, our message is scattered with so many platforms, you know, yeah. platforms that I know somebody else mentioned pizza. It's like a fun thing to talk about every time someone finds pizza in a lounge. And maybe at some point, somebody will, you know, some of these lounges are becoming very high end. So maybe somebody will mm. end up doing an actual good pizza yeah I'd be, I'd be surprised if they didn't because pizza's cheap to make and yeah and also say easy comfort food i mean a lot of people would go for it heck yeah i would <laughs> <laughs> another aircraft that we've been talking about a lot is of course the c-series so the 100 to 300 is going to be called airbus uh, a200 well july 1st uh, so that happened just recently the all their regulatory approvals have been obtained so it's done the c-series is integrated by airbus Guys, if you don't know, there's 100 to 150 seats. It's just below the, the 320. And they are forecasting to sell about 6,000 of these in the next 20 years. So, well, we'll see. That's healthy. Yeah. I, I think Air Baltic, if I'm not mistaken, just ordered some new ones uh, again. Uh, so, yeah. Were they the launch? I think maybe were they the launch customer? Yeah, I think they were the launch customer for the 300, the 100. Was it not Swiss? Yeah, perhaps. I think Swiss were definitely a, a launch customer for one of the variants. 
But I think Swiss converted some of their orders of 100 to 300, um, but I've not flown Swiss for quite a while because I'm not going to Geneva as much as I used to. I've seen it on the ground in, where was that? Zurich, probably. Yeah, I've seen it in Zurich on the ground next to me. And I was like, oh, or I've seen it, oh, I've seen it even in... I think in London, T2 on the ground, uh, the 300. Yeah. I really want to fly it because the inside is, again, we love different aircraft. Yeah. You know, we, I look at my stats we just mentioned about tracking our flights. And in Europe, I fly 320s all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It does get, it's, it's, it's neat to try new, new airplanes. So a little, just a parenthesis on, because I mentioned that in the last episode, I'm not going to dwell over it, but I did, as I told you guys, I did fly. With a carry-on full of equipment, podcasting equipment, actually. So two boom arms, two microphones, cables, the shock mount, which where you put a microphone. I mean, a lot of stuff in my carry-on, plus my clothes, obviously. So that was, that was for a week to tell you that I don't wear a lot of clothes then because a lot of it was equipment. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> the thing, no, I'm just very good with layering and, and you know, matching. I don't want to, I, I don't want to have too much stuff with me. No. I, I was seeing, Especially when I was flying to Ibiza, I was seeing people going to Ibiza with like three massive suitcases. I don't and get I was that. like, I mean, they're, they're carrying their entire house, I, I guess. And I said it, I think a few episodes ago, they need a change of clothes for every Instagram picture or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, uh, it was very interesting to see the various differences in how airports are, are dealing with it. So Ether were pretty okay with it. They just said, what is it? And I said, it's, you know, podcasting equipment, you know, and I said, I'm a broadcaster. <laughs> oh, nice. That's a good way of putting it. And they said, oh, okay, fine. And it was done very quickly. Then I went to Frankfurt because I was commuting to Sofia. That was, I'll, I'll go to Frankfurt a bit later, but that was a disaster. I had literally to put everything out of my suitcase because they didn't trust. They wanted to swipe everything. That, that, that security is so bad, slow, impolite, rude. But even with because I'll talk about the impoliteness later, the, 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 the level of scrutiny is like, come on, guys, over the top. And it also, that kind of means, because it's an intra-transfer security, that you are basically not trusting whoever security came before. And in that case, you're not trusting Ethro. Uh, so maybe the Germans don't trust the English. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's weird, because it wasn't always like that. I no. don't know what's changed. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they have new measures. I don't know. And, and Munich isn't as... Bad. Uh, Munich is more, you know, reasonable when they see stuff. I'm not saying again. Fine. They're maybe not used to see podcasting equipment. They're seeing like strange stuff, like boom arms. You know, I'm not saying that they shouldn't tell me anything. It's totally fine, and I'm totally ready to spend ten minutes to open my suitcase and show them. But it's more the the matter and the level of scrutiny. Like you're gonna swipe literally everything. I don't know. <sighs> I was in Sofia. From Sofia, flew to Athens. Uh, that was with Aegean. Sophia is like, they didn't care at all no. <laughs> about anything. Actually, you know what? Because I was so thinking about, oh, I have these podcasting equipment, I forgot to remove my liquids from my backpack. I just have them in my backpack. And I forgot to remove both my iPad and my MacBook. They didn't say anything. I was like, okay. So basically, they were saying to people, you know, remove la la la. But, I, you know, I was just going very quickly. It's a badly designed Sophia Airport D. The security is really badly. It's very tiny. So you arrive That's and you have to right. go through. And they didn't care. That's the place. I remember that. This is the place where they where they swabbed me and then somebody else. Same here. <laughs> and you're like, exactly. well, what happens if they've exactly. done something? Like, are you going to shoot both of us? What's going to happen? I don't. This is, don't. Ugh. That's yeah. That's a, a slightly disconcerting, isn't it? 
It is, absolutely it is. Uh, then Athens, from Athens, I flew to Doha, as I told you guys in the last episode. Athens is the one, it's pretty chill, but the one thing that they do that is a bit awkward compared to all the other airports I've flown, they still ask you to open your MacBook to prove that it's functioning. So, so you yeah, have to boot it up. It on. So it's better to leave them in sleep mode, especially your MacBook uh, or laptops, because they will want, it's very quick. As long as you show them that it works, it's they're fine. But that's a different regulation yeah, again. That's weird. Doha, I hinted at in the last episode, was the extreme vetting measures uh, imposed by the U.S. So that was a pain. So I wouldn't say that was due to the podcasting equipment. I think they just went through everything, yeah. everything. They tried open it. So I have two iPhones when I travel, and they try to boot everything. So make sure that you have all your equipment, you know, powered, because I'm sure that if, let's say, I forgot, because it happens to me, I'll be honest. Since I never use that second phone I have with me, just like a, in case something happened, I lose my other one. I forget to charge it sometimes. If it hadn't been charged, I probably they would have asked me to charge it on the spot. Or Yeah, I was just going to ask you. I wonder what they would have done or what the protocol is if it doesn't boot up. Well, I hope they would not have taking it from me because it's still like no these things are expensive (laughs) but you know i was i was going to say that would seem like overkill but nothing uh, nothing surprises me anymore no (laughs) i don't know that's kind of sad i suppose and then gfk and i flew back from newark and we talked about New York. Newark is really still bad. And you know what? It was really amazing because I arrived there and I was in advance for my Emirates flight. The one thing that was the flight just before us was El Al. Uh, so the families of Jewish people were like seven, eight kids yeah. with two parents. Security took forever to clear obviously because with kids and i get it i'm here not complaining you know it takes more time because the parents have to kind of say oh you have to yeah, move yeah, this it's... and this but in in newark they ask us to remove the shoes which is almost not the case anymore uh, anywhere else i think i've seen that maybe in asia somewhere uh the shoes is really have you seen lately did they ask you to remove your shoes mm. i mean unless you have boots you know like very not outside shoes. of the u.s Uh, No. And even in the US, it seems less frequent. Um, It's certainly not every time. New York, they did it. I always wear, you know, but I have TSA pre-check, so I don't have to. Uh, I don't. And but it's fine. I mean, again, I'm really that's why I I always try to wear easy to remove shoes. Like like when you're in Japan and you have to remove the shoes every time you enter a restaurant, basically, (laughs) or a house. So that's why I have these kind of shoe sneakers or easy, but still. The one thing that was very different in the U.S., in Newark at least, from all the other experiences, again, my podcasting equipment, they didn't care much. I mean, they just took a look. The computers are allowed to stay inside. The liquids were allowed to stay inside uh, as long as they could see them. But they asked us to remove the food. I didn't have any food, but the families in front of me had a ton of food because, of course, they were, I guess, bringing back to the country. Oh, my God. (laughs) <laughs> that, but, that took like but, forever. I was like, the I food, you well, your I, entire kitchen or something. <laughs> I wonder why they, I think I that's know. the problem. There's so little consistency, I think, in that. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that if it's too transparent with what you do and what you're going to be asking for, then you're asked, you know, that that's just right for exploitation. But I, I've never had to take out food. Baby food is a different story because it's almost in liquid form. But I'm very interested to see what it's like going through security with my family out of Heathrow in a couple of days and yeah, then yeah. Um, out of the out of San Francisco in a few weeks. I forgot to mention that some, you know, I have a, a camera, so a proper camera, guys, not a phone. And some of these securities will ask to remove 
all big electronic stuff. So that means, and I always ask, I said, do you want a camera out? And they, some of them say yes. It's interesting that Ethro, I use my backpack because my backpack usually has a camera, at least one laptop, sometimes the iPad as well, because that's my IFE, a GoPro, cables, spare batteries, um, battery pack for my phone. I mean, it has only electronics, which is why every time I go to Frankfurt and I say, oh, ele- electronics out, I'm like, that's my entire bag. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> but Ethro used to say a lot of it uh, was busy bag. You know, So my bag would actually go on the side and would have to check it manually. It doesn't happen anymore. So I don't know if the improved their camera x-rays whatever to look within what it is but they, they don't do it anymore and i really carry always the same stuff right so i don't know um, that's weird you know it's always hard to judge security because you don't know what they know yeah. uh so at least what yeah, I, that's a great point yeah what i want at least is some you know civility mm-hmm. in how they handle the situation which is not the case at frankfurt um <laughs> no i mean honestly i mean i'll go there uh, later in the show but uh oh well in, anyway interesting to see how they uh, all behave differently um you did another flight to asia this time and i'm not going to ask you about security especially but you did Cathay pacific if i'm not mistaken yes in premium economy, right? I did, yeah. It, it was a slightly last-minute thing, and so business was out of the question, and I was paying for it. But I've always had a great experience with Cathay Premium Economy, and so I, I didn't hesitate for a second because it was out of Gatwick, and it was the 350, which I hadn't flown on with Cathay before. So I, I wanted to try it because Gatwick's closer to my house. But I think most importantly, the timings were so great for maximizing my time on the ground in Hong Kong. Because it (laughs) leaves, yeah, for for eating. Because it leaves at like noon London time and gets in at 7 a.m. Hong Kong time. So you you arrive and you just go. And then the return flight leaves at 1 a.m. and lands at, I think, 6 a.m. So you still have like, I only had one night in a hotel, but I still had two completely full days on the ground nice. in Hong yeah. Kong. It's a great I had a I had a bulkhead on the way out and it was great a little bit more leg room and uh, you're not bothering people when you when you get out. Those seats are so comfortable. They keep reclining like even further than you think you're going to go. <laughs> uh, the uh, service was of course amazing and interestingly, I got a greeting, a personalized greeting from the uh, in-flight manager or whatever they call themselves on Cathay. And I have no status with Cathay. That's just because I was a one world emerald. And I was impressed because I don't always get, I I would say maybe 40 to 50% of the time on BA, but both flights on Cathay, somebody came by and said something and they meant it. It was, it was the sincerity that we always, that we always talk about. Their IFE is so good. Those cameras on the 350. I I said, I think I sent you this message and and a few of my other friends who are big into movies. They had every Wong Kar Wai movie and like six John Woo movies and five early Jackie Chan movies. So I was like, oh, I'm not getting any sleep on this flight. It was it was great. And 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 live TV, like we talked about, they're one of the people that have those three live channels. The only thing that was not as spectacular as everything else was the food. It was fine. It was fine. But it wasn't blow your socks off fine like the rest of the experience was. And of course, on the way back, I got to use that wonderful Cathay First Class Lounge. The pier. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we should both have a PO box there and have our dedicated room or something. I <laughs> love that lounge. And one of the things that I've rediscovered is liveatc.net, the app. Uh-huh. 
yeah. where you can listen to live, as the name suggests, air traffic control. Of course, you can't do it in the UK because it's illegal. But sitting on my flight as we waited for some delays due to weather, listening to all of the ground chatter and the dispatch controller trying to get everybody out on time and all these pilots saying, when's it going to be our turn? It's just kind of fun. And I love flying on Cathay. It makes me happy and comfortable. So I'm looking, I'm doing it again, actually, with my family in October. So I'm really looking forward to that as well. But ugh, what a great airline. That's what I'm flying next week, actually. Um, the main reason being that, like you, I just, you know, I know it's going to be great. Yeah. And and for someone told as me, that seat configuration, I really have a lot of leg room when I, because I'm, I'm not saying that, come on, uh, like let's say Emirates, a business class 380, uh, when you are full flat, my feet just, just touch the end of the cubicle, which is fine. I sleep very well. I'm not saying, but these more open-ended types of seats, yes. where there's no seat, there's no like uh, staggered like that. These open-ended types of seats, I will always favor them because then I can, you know, my feet go anywhere and it's super cool for me to, I, you know, when I turn during my sleep, I don't hit some parts of the seat or whatever. I just sleep and I love that. Yeah, I, I, I do too. That The the business seat, the first seat, although I haven't experienced the first seat on the 350, <laughs> only on the 777-300. I've never either that one. And that, that's great too. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, I, it's it's a. We talked about this in the last episode. That is a very good airplane. Yeah, from a PaxX experience. I just I, I and of course Cathay have done it. Great. I job. didn't know they had as many as they did. I thought oh, because a friend of mine is a first officer with Cathay on the 350, and I thought, oh, you know, they don't have many of these. Maybe I'll. I'll luck out and it'll be him flying it. They have like 30 of them. Yeah. And so they're introducing, uh, thank you because you're giving my lead to the, the next piece of news because this episode will have a few news as well. They're introducing the 350,000. Yeah. They're the launch customer and actually just launched uh, 1st of July. So it's new and I might, might have the luck to fly it because currently they're running uh, Hong Kong, Bangkok, Manila, Singapore, and Taipei. So Taoyuan, TPE that we covered in a few episodes ago. So I'm going to Manila. So maybe I'll be able to fly it. Actually, it's very interesting because when you go on Google Flights, et cetera, et cetera, they tell you it's a 350, but I cannot know which one it is. Mm. Uh, so we'll see. Maybe you have in the fall, uh, they'll start a long haul, Madrid, uh, Manchester, DC, uh, yeah, DC and Tel Aviv. I think DC and actually DC and Manchester are uh, sorry. D Manchester is actually in the winter, but the all the other ones I think are in the fall. Probably the experience is very similar to the current 350 they have. Yeah. But I mean, if you guys are into flying every single type of aircraft, this is a way to do it. The thousand is there. Hong Kong to DC. That's a pretty epic flight. Yeah, that's a pretty long flight, actually. Yeah, yeah, it, <laughs> it must be the polar. Yeah, of course it's the polar route. But yeah, that's a, that's a long way. Oh, well, thank you. You keep giving me annoyingly lead-ins to our my next <laughs> piece of news because talking about very long flights, Singapore is finally get set a date for the reintroduction of their Newark to uh, uh-huh. Singapore route. Uh, that's October 11. That's the longest flight in the world. You know, we've been talking ad nauseum about these flights uh, in since the beginning, actually. Uh, so that's going to be a, a 350-900 ULR, ultra long haul. So there'll be 67 business class seats, 94 premium economy seats, but no economy. Which makes sense because that yeah, is yeah. such a long way. And I think similar configuration to the, that they did with the A345 for LA... LA, Singapore. And I think it's a very sensible decision. I was surprised that Qantas didn't opt for something like this on the Dreamliner that they do from London to Perth, because Mm -hmm. that's 
that's a hell of a long way as well. But there is economy on that. I think Ed Parsons, correct us if we're wrong, because I, or if I'm wrong, because I know that you've done that flight. I, I can't even fathom. I know we talk about this whenever we talk about. I just can't imagine being on a plane for that long, even in a comfy seat. You just get bored. Yeah, yeah I get. Yeah. I get bored. I can yeah, only done, eat and drink I, so much. I've done 16 hours flights. I think that was my longest one ever. And you know, like you said, you sleep even seven hours and you wake up and you have nine hours in front of you like okay you know like it's really and you, you basically go throughout the ife and god i've seen everything on the ife nowadays i don't think there's anything anymore i mean thank god for the world cup on the yeah. in-flight entertainment because the pricing is already also announced it's going to be around for premium economy one thousand seven hundred dollars so that's one thousand three hundred pounds probably and of course double that if you want to fly business class uh, they will have one single aircraft at the beginning so that mean the route will be i think at the beginning only thrice weekly mm. and then they will actually go that for a daily service by the end of october because if you get a second one they'll be able to do that route all the time yeah super long there was an article no time to discuss this time i'll try to find it again that was very interesting about these ultra long haul flights saying that and perth is a good example that Although you can connect a lot of cities, like pairs of cities like that, it doesn't always make sense because New York and Singapore are both very high end. You'll have enough people paying those kind of prices. But if you go to, they say, for instance, going like New Zealand, does it have enough uh, business people to have daily services like that to of course, Doha is an example. They say, is that really a good business model? It's interesting to see that maybe at some point the price will drop and that will open up for like the general public. But are these prices, is this really like corporate guys, you know, yeah. having their company paying for it or, you know, some, you know, high, -end, high net worth people? Because otherwise, you know, I, even myself, I really want to do them once to say I've done it. But these prices are not the most competitive. No, they're not. And I think you're right. I think they know exactly who their audience is. And who's willing to to eat that type of cost for the convenience? Because I think most of us would be okay with a layover in Tokyo yeah, or, exactly. or even Hong Kong or somewhere like that. Uh, frankly, I'd enjoy it just to break it up. But if I put my my business traveler hat on, knowing I can get there in one fell swoop, you know, in sixteen hours versus twenty three hours, I'll take probably take that. Yeah, no, of course, exactly. If you're busy, if you want to get back to your family, you, Alex, of course, you will do that. Otherwise, if you have a little bit of time, or especially you just mentioned Tokyo, and I did that, I went to eat sushi, and then I went back to the airport. It was perfect, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, still on, on Singapore, interestingly, Silk Air will become fully integrated in Singapore uh, in the next three years. It's been announced now. So Silk Air, the brand apparently will disappear. It's going to be full Singapore. So they're doing uh, the Cathay regional thing. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly that. Scoot, however, still maintains its separate brand, I guess, because that's a low-cost thing. Uh, I've seen quite a few when I was actually in Asia lately. Also, yeah, it's so cool that I don't know if we've talked about it. You know, now they've introduced, you know, the 350 and other types uh, at Singapore, and they have full flat on the, their shortest flights as well. They actually are advertising that. I even saw advertising on, on Instagram like, hey, if you want to fly short haul in Asia, fly with us. You'll have full flat for two hours. And I'm like, what? Talked about, you know, having our business seats here in Europe, right? I, I, <laughs> I, yeah, I just, I don't even think I have any energy left for that one. Like, what, like I, I don't think it's ever going to change because it's profitable. 
<laughs> it is absolutely it absolutely profit people are used to it so why not um also the a380 by singapore that was discarded the lesser uh, i've tried to sell it to i think high fly and to other airlines that's the first ever Air 380 that Singapore had. It was, I think it was launched in 2007 or something. So we're talking a long time ago. Yeah. It will be scrapped for parts. Yeah, it's sad, but I think we saw the writing on the wall when it took yeah. years to find anybody even interested. And then High Fly, as you say, kind of tentatively raised their hand and said, eh, maybe. I think the other the other interested party was Iran Air. Yeah. But they also bailed. Yeah. We should talk about that, probably not in this episode, but about the, the, the sanctions and how that's going to affect their growth, because a lot of stuff has come out from, from that conversation. But it's sad. I think in the big scheme of things, the A380 will be surprisingly ephemeral. You know, It's not going to have the legacy by any stretch of the imagination that the 747 had slash has. It's yeah. just going to be you know, there. Although I read recently that, that BA are flirting with Airbus to add more 380s because Willie Walsh is saying it's the perfect airplane for Heathrow. Yeah, because there's congestion. I mean, oh, well, there you go. Uh, they've announced a third runway, but do you actually believe that? No, because now it's going to be challenged in the courts. And, you know, I'm all for due process. I'm all for, yeah, of course, for this too, type yeah. of thing. But it's now getting a bit silly. We've been talking about it for years. Either do it or don't. Meanwhile, Gatwick, which has a probably a more robust plan for a second runway, second second runway, they only have one runway, is languishing. And I, I, I sent you this message while I was at Gatwick recently saying they are bursting at the seams. Yeah. In yeah, the terminals are, themselves. Honestly, both airports are. Yeah. I mean, of course, uh, Terminal 5 is way more in terms of number of people. Terminal 2 is still okay, for instance. Terminal 3 is also kind of too busy and too old. But I, I, I would love both airports to have the ability to build the extra runway i know that it doesn't fly well no pun intended towards the people that are living underneath especially near ether i think the the noise problem is more acute near ether mm -hmm. because more built than near gatwick but yeah it's uh we're reaching you know you have amsterdam you have charles de gaulle you have these airports that have three four runways that are have still capacity to grow and are growing and here, I understand the people that say we should have a network and constellation of airports. But when you think about, again, those business travelers that pay a lot to travel, they want to have a simple way of traveling. And that means arriving at Heathrow, getting to the city, especially now with you know Elizabeth Line, et cetera, et cetera, is there's no way out of Heathrow, I believe. No, no, there isn't. I, and it was interesting talking to some of the, the management team at London City, because they are going ahead with their expansion. They're building a taxiway so that the planes don't have to taxi back down the runway, which will allow them to have more hourly movements. They're building the terminal out a bit more. But Lucy, by its definition, has a finite capacity because it's in a friggin' lake, you know? <laughs> Heathrow, there is, and I was looking at it actually as I came into land from somewhere recently. There is this open space to the north of the airfield at Heathrow that. Yeah. You can see why that was the plan they settled for. It makes a lot yep. of sense. It does. Now it comes down to how are they going to come up with a plan that placates is, is a condescending word. That's not the right word, but but makes everybody comfortable with this decision or allows them to at least get on with their lives with the minimal disruption. And that's going to, that could take years. Probably uh, uh, Ed Parsons uh, sent us, uh, <laughs> he said that uh, 
in my lifetime, maybe, and I'm old enough to remember when Heathrow last had three runways. Uh, that was 2305, you know, the one that crosses. Yeah. Uh, that was still yeah. in operation in the early 2000s, actually. So we had three runways here. We even had like six at some point because it was it was built as a kind of a weird shape. Like, a, like all the... Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, Boris Johnson was adamant not to have a third, actually flew to Afghanistan whilst the vote was happening at the court. Uh, to, be, to be fair with him, one thing, although... I don't think it would ever happen out of cost reasons. It's true, maybe, that he has a point of building an entirely new airport somewhere far away with, like, six runways. Like, he, his idea was that the Assyri of the Thames yeah. actually makes sense. A lot of cities, you build far away, but then you have room for expansion for the next 100 years. Yeah, and you, you build, then you have to build high speed. In, yeah, you know. that's, that's, where, that's where I don't think it will happen because it will cost like 150 billion pounds just to build the airport. Then you have to be high speed rails and then et cetera, et cetera. That will not happen. No. So I think the reasonable solution is to add a runway at Heathrow and at some point to give also another runway to Gatwick. EasyJet actually came about and said that having a third runway at Heathrow will allow the prices to decrease. They even foresee that they could even fly to Heathrow themselves because if more slots are open, they hope that not everything will be given to BA. Well, one would hope. And I think that that's why... <laughs> That's why EasyJet and to an extent Ryanair have an important role to play. I mean, less Virgin because they're sort of disappearing into the sunset, but they have yeah. to keep that monopoly in check. Uh, our friend Greg, you know, our brewer, uh, <laughs> sent us yeah. a video. I'm not a huge fan of Jurassic Park myself. I mean, I've seen some of the movies, but I'm not going to line up to the box office to see them. But there was this uh, very funny college humor video it's called my dinosaur is a service animal <laughs> They're trying to oh yeah that was cute wasn't it <laughs> that's no peacock with dinosaur this time and craig you have a challenge because you remember we said that the, the beer of iceland air was 737 so 7.37 uh <laughs> per alcohol unit well you know there's 320 330s of course but there's also like 940 i think that's an antenna or something so you can you could actually do an entire line craig of beers that are branded towards the aircraft that you represent. It's pretty cool, no? You should do that. That is cool. And actually, I think I sent a message while I was in Hong Kong saying that you cannot get Betsy anymore, but I did manage to track down oh, yeah. some of the beers that that brewery, Hong Kong, Hong Kong Beer Company, I think they're called, made. And they're all really good. So the next time you guys are in Hong Kong, they even have a great Google Maps layer that you can that shows all the places where you can get it. And yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. And you can find some that are... Similar in flavor to Betsy, although not without the cool story. <laughs> of course not. A uh, few reviews, more reviews and shout outs. These times they come from Facebook. Mike Shrook, uh, five stars. Loyal listener, always excited to see a new episode hit my phone. So we, we were probably very happy yesterday. Actually, we got a, a yesterday for you guys. It's uh, 10 days ago or something. But we've got actually a lot of people super excited because we're finally on air. So thank you so much, guys. That was really nice to see that we didn't lose you uh, whilst we were traveling. Anita also gave us uh, five stars. Hat off to both of you. I've missed a few episodes. I'm catching up. Layovers and Mastication Nation are my favorites to binge listen to. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, I appreciated your shout out to Gretchen, the lady with fear of flying. She's, yes, that's me. <laughs> and she also loved our episode on, of Taipei. She flies there a few times per year. You're very lucky, actually. Yeah. And she says, great airport if you have kids. And I remember I mentioned like these very cool uh, kind of 
boarding areas. Probably there's something to it. So if you have kids, she mentions the playground at D8. So I guess it's gate D8. is awesome. Well, there you go. If you have kids, Taipei seems to be very kid-friendly. That's a good, uh, That's a good reason thing for you to, to know. go with your, with your family, actually, Alex. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and kid-friendly airports are a godsend. And actually, to Heathrow's credit, it's very kid-friendly. Is it? Okay, very kid-friendly, yep. I mean, I always see these plays area, kid plays area that are scattered next to gates. There's one next to gate A17, 15, whatever. That's at, where we at always end up. <laughs> That's really nice. And she, oh, yeah, she also mentioned that there's a Hello Kitty baby care center at Taipei. So of there course you go. there is. <laughs> of course there is. Uh, Japan just introduced a, a Hello Kitty train. That looked so cool. <laughs> I'm so happy with that. I need to try it. Of course, it was just announced when I was leaving Japan. Like, no, no, I want to try this. Um, Bryn, at Justin Erb, I guess that's how you, uh, you write your uh, Twitter handle, says, suggestions for Hamburg. There are tours of the model of the airport and ramp. You can go to the viewing deck. You can't tell if it's uh, airside or landside. And you can also venture in the city to see a miniature Wonderland uh, Airbus factory. So a miniature Airbus factory. That, well, that place is supposed to be amazing. I'm going to Hamburg in November. Oh, there you go. That's Brent, on my list. So perfect it, yeah. timing. Perfect timing, Brent. Thank you so much. And Ross Mason, one of our loyal listeners at Manson44, said he, he had two hours delay out of Valencia because of French ADC strikes. Guys, French ADC strikes nowadays every three days, basically, yeah. right? <laughs> and although he had already listened to all the episodes of both Layovers and Mexican Nation, he decided to listen to them all again. So thank oh you, Ross. Oh, my God. Ross. <laughs> Uh, also a shout out to dan foster at dj fast on twitter because he's been mentioning us quite a few times lately and he said when you discover a layovers podcast that you've missed a big heart so um really thank you because you keep mentioning us and that's really that's kind really cool they're really kind uh thank you so going to not directly frankfurt first let's talk about lufthansa the good part of my experience but i want to talk about delivery there was a fantastic interview in airways magazine which is a great magazine it is a great i don't magazine. think we've never no we've never talked about it, have we? no no it's one of the good things you can even they still have a print edition you can mm-hmm. order as well it's really cool they interviewed the designers and the guys behind delivery the new livery that i've finally i've seen it on the 747 it was not mine 747-8 but i've seen it on the ground twice in frankfurt on the way there and on the way back. It looks really, honestly, fantastic. And it's really a cool article because they say that, okay, they wanted the blue to express premium, as we know. That's why they ditched the yellow. They said every time they tried to mix yellow and blue again, and they are in the article, some of the early mock-ups of deliveries they were trying, it was shouting too much. It was not Mm. premium. So maybe is it because Ryanair uses that kind of colors? I don't know. Very possibly. (laughs) And maybe people associate these mix of color now with, with that. I don't know. They, they, that's they don't a very say that. interesting point. Yeah, they don't say that. But what he said is very interesting, and that's kind of obvious. Well, as a designer, I would have wished I could have taken an A320, painted, and tested different shades of blue in the open daylight. But he says, in this day and age, everybody has a mobile phone. As soon as you put something out, it will be taking yeah, pictures. Of course. 20 years ago, it was easier to basically try stuff in real-life environment they had a tail fin of an old Boeing 737 in England somewhere in a hangar, and they painted it over and over and over with 15 shades of blue until they were happy. But that was all hidden. They admit that once they started flying the first uh, 747, I think the other one, I don't remember, is it 320 maybe? 
they realized that the blue was, especially in adverse weather conditions, too dark. And yep. they said, okay, well, we have to work it out. But they patented the, they call it the Lufthansa Deep Blue. It belongs to them and nobody else can use it now. Wow. So they patented that special shade of color. Wow. So they're a very interesting article, especially for the early mockups. You can see the yellow there. But they keep saying that the yellow is still, and it's the case, it's still used in a lot of the brand material and a lot of the gates, et cetera. So they, it's not abandoned. It's just on the on the delivery. You won't see it anymore. I think there was that was a very sensible. And I love how open they've been about the process as well. It's it's so great. I think maybe we're a little bit more uh, interested in it than others, but I, I, I just think it's a really great insight into how you get there. You're not just slapping paint on an airplane. You're, the, the, <laughs> the process is fascinating. It really, really is. Like a privileged style, which obviously does the same kind of work when they come up with it. <laughs> oh my God. Man, now, honestly, I saw it twice. I've not seen it, the small version. So like on the, you know, the, the 320, I think it is. But it looks grandiose on a 747. I don't even know which shade of blue I saw. Was it a new one or was it... Because I think now they have two or three 747s painted. So I don't know which one I saw, but it looked absolutely amazing. The crane is still there. It's really wonderful. So I was a fan since the beginning. I know it was controversial. Some people don't like it, but trust me, see it in real life and you're probably going to like it. I, yeah, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see it. So I flew to Tokyo with Lufthansa. I used miles to do that because I wanted to try the first class once in my life with Lufthansa. I always said that I don't like and I still don't like the business class of Lufthansa long haul because, you know, that feed situation, they are like... Inward looking, so you're basically touching the feet of your neighbor all throughout. And yes. I, I think it's very bizarre. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> they are coming up with a new one, I think by 2020, 2021. We'll come to that in a minute because it's an interesting debate. First of all, Alex, because I was very jealous of you, I finally, finally, finally flown a 320neo. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It, it was not as new as the one you flew because mine was January 2017. So probably one of the first ones, actually. That, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it's... It's, it's nothing special, is it? Inside? Yeah. It's like, well, yes. isn't it? there's nothing really inside except for maybe a little bit of the mood lighting, but it's the engines, I think, that are the big yeah. deal. I just knew it was because as soon as I entered, I looked at the door, I saw, oh, 2017. And on the, the leaflet for security, it says Neo. Yes. So you know you're a Neo. So that was, that was, honestly, that was nice. I mean, again, maybe I get too excited and most of the people don't care because they don't even realize it's a different aircraft, but it was actually it's excited. Cool, Finally, and, and it is much quieter. It seems to be. It's hard, you know, it's always hard, but yeah, it seems to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, perhaps it's a trick of the mind, really. It's not. Yeah. It's just. Yeah, perhaps we're being convinced that it is. And because, you know, like we, we want to believe, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Frankfurt, I'll come, as I said, a bit later. I want to first talk about the experience itself. Honestly, you know what? Of course, it's a first class product. Of course, it's going to be great. But as Alex said in the previous episode, let's compare first to first. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing product. So the seat itself is obviously not as private as would be an Emirates with a door, uh, Asiana with a door, uh, Singapore suite. I've never done it, but I've seen the pictures with a door. Of course, Etihad first as, as well with a door, which I've done once only in my life. It's in the nose. Uh, I've not seen the version on the 340 because they have a similar version 340. I, I, it's hard to say 
one to one because it's only you know in the very front there's only two seats that's where i was seated then there's again two and then there's four uh one to one they have this weird privacy thing so because again imagine i'm touching the nose basically i'm in the nose uh when you put your privacy shield up it's an l-shaped privacy behind your back and on your side so basically anyone now can only see the very tip of my feet. So it's actually pretty oh, private. So yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty private. It's not a door or enclosed or whatever, but it is actually private. The Ottoman moves back and forth, so you can actually, you know, motorize. Oh, that's cool. If you, yeah, so if you want to approach it to, to because you're a, a smaller, not as tall as me person, uh, the Ottoman as well opens. So there's actually there's storage. There's also some storage on the side, not as much as a 380 when you have tons of storage, but I could put my laptop and I could hide stuff there. Nice. Uh, the, the table is massive, etc. The one quirk, because the, I was at some point, I said, my seat is not working. When you open the table, the tray table is massive, obviously, right? It's also motorized. When you open the, t- the tray table, some of the functions of your seat stop working, I guess, to uh, not allow you to basically hit the table. But I was literally thinking my seat stopped working. It's not, I need to switch seats or something. And as soon as I close the table, all the operation resumes. A bit That's strange. So I, I couldn't even like go, you know, just recline. I couldn't so do So you it. couldn't have a table up. Uh, that's weird. The trick would be to first set how you want to be seated, then open the table, because that's fine. It's just that whilst the table is up, some of the functions, including the recline, were not working. And I really thought, okay, my seat is broken. And I was like, okay, the, the, the cabin wasn't full, but I really liked the fact to be like totally in front. And I was like, oh my God, I will have to switch seats. But no, it's really that. It's, it's a quirk. I don't know why, but it's, it's just a quirk. You know, this product is not... I mean, it's currently the newest, if you want, because they haven't introduced, but they, they also are mulling a different uh, first-class seat. They abandoned, they had, a, I don't know if you remember seeing the picture, they had a model of seats where you had a, both a seat and a bed next to it. Yes. That's that's gone. That's already been oh, interesting. Uh, gone. Yeah, so this is just a seat, but honestly, super comfortable. There's also, you know, they make your bed. So obviously you have a mattress and you have a duvet. It's all white. It's very, you know, German. So it's... There's no ostentatious like would be uh, Emirates or maybe an uh, Etihad. Not as minimalistic as would be uh, probably a Japanese airline, but it is very neutral, but in a good way. And the most, the most amazing thing for me was the crew. You know, the crew, you know, I can, sp- of course, they will put the best crew in the pointy end of the cabin, clearly, but the crew was absolutely magnificent. I have on and off experiences with Lufthansa. Sometimes it's just basic, basically neutral. They don't make me feel anything. You know, they, they're very professional, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But there's no connection. I speak a little bit of German. I understand everything in German because uh, I used to speak German. I just haven't done it in, in 15 years. But it's not even about that. It's that the connection is, but these guys, especially on the way to Haneda, were absolutely fantastic they read the room super well i could see how they engage with me as soon as i started talking and i was more like you know more casual and I'd tell them yeah forget about my last name just call me paul they actually switched very quickly understood what i wanted compared to the person who was behind me who wanted like a more conservative way of being addressed and they were super good at that it was amazing honestly uh, and it were- makes such a difference isn't it the food is excellent. Uh, lots of choices. It's uh, it's kind of on demand. I mean, they they did say normally we would serve you after an hour and a half, but I mean, if you want to have later, it's fine as well. So it's uh, you know you can do whatever you want. Really great food. You also have Japanese options going to Japan. Obviously, I tried both. Actually, very good. You know, and they knew they knew how to serve. 
Japanese food and how to put all the little plates in front of you. There was not a single, on the way there, there was not a single Japanese customer. That was customer, just what I was think. about to ask you. But on the way back, they were, and they knew how to address these people. Uh, they knew how to, you know, correctly set the table, et cetera. So it was very, very, very well trained. So it's, it's amazing. The one quirk with seats 1A and 1K, which are, again, the way two in the front, there's no direct uh, storage bins above you because they only start at seats two. But all the seats in first class, you have your own locker, which is at the galley, just after seat uh, number four, uh, row four, you have your own locker. This is really cool. You have a locker, which is pretty big, actually. You could put a lot of stuff in there. It's, uh, of course, your jacket. Oh, so you okay, because lockers generally, I found in premium cabins are tiny and useless. But so that's refreshing to hear that they've thought about this. I decided for once in my life, I decided to put my carry-on in the hold. I said, you know, so I don't have to deal with it. I can enjoy Frankfurt. And I didn't. I'll go there later. <laughs> no, because, you know, I really assumed, okay, I'm going to be in first class. Yep. So my experience at Frankfurt might be totally different from the ones I've been used to. No, it wasn't the case at all. Um, so I could have put both my carry-on and my backpack and my jacket, it was still space to spare in That's that locker. impressive. Yeah. The only other time I had that experience was Asiana First Class A380. Also had a locker. It was also very big. You can put lots of stuff. And some people actually had a lot of stuff. Um, on the way back, the very fun thing, there was a Japanese customer. I overheard him talking. So the crew wasn't speaking Japanese. There was one that spoke Japanese that would come off and on, but probably she was in business class because there were probably more Japanese customers there. But he was speaking well enough English. And I overheard him and it was so endearing and adorable. It says, I always fly in economy. That was my first time in the front of the cabin. So the guy, the first time he ever flies in front of the cabin is Lufthansa first, first class. Wow. <laughs> Man, he was so excited. You know, of course he's Japanese, so, Sorry for the, the cliche, but you're not going to be overly crazy and all, you know, but it was so endearing to see someone enjoying the first class or any kind of front of the cabin for the first time in his life. We were taking off and suddenly there's on this side, not on my side, there's Mount Fuji. You can sometimes see it when you depart from Maneda. And I could hear him, Fuji, Fuji, Fuji. It was so, oh, that's, man. That's wonderful. I loved it. You know, it was like, this is the thing that, I mean, we're sometimes a bit more blasé in a way. Uh, I don't think we are because, like we said, we're kids still when we yeah. fly. But seeing that and he was trying to order everything and the crew, and that's a good thing. The crew was not being condescending or anything. On the contrary, they were playing with that. They were like, okay, you're going to enjoy your first flight. We're uh. going to make everything you want, anything you want. We're going to make it happen. They really amazing to see that. I mean, they were also very kind with me. They said, Paul, because I asked them to call me Paul, you know, whatever you want. You know, I was drinking champagne. You want more champagne? Of course, as much as you want. You know, they were, <laughs> so, I mean, they really play. I'm not sure. And that's also very nice. Do they know I paid everything with miles or not? But I didn't feel that there was a difference with the way they treated me against someone who maybe have paid full price for that. So that was also very nice. But you have status still. And I think that probably overrides how you paid for the... Probably. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you are a valuable customer, whether you paid cash or whether you, you use miles. You're, you're One right. would hope right. anyway. Yeah. And, and really, you can see that the, the staff knows their customers because the head of the cabin, again, I don't know how they are called for Lufthansa, told me that it's been 20 years in a row he's flying to Japan. 
So he knows how to deal. So Lufthansa, for that, the reason they know how to address and how to cater for Japanese people is that they've got not only trained, but they put them on these specific routes to know how to handle and how to please customers uh, from, in, in this case, Japan. So that was very admirable. So that, that's honestly really, really cool. And, 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 and like you said yourself when you flew the 747, when the gear goes down and the gear goes up, that noise is just insane. Yeah, yeah, so good. So <laughs> good. Just, I love it. There was a lot of turbulences going there. And interestingly, just as a matter of comparison, the fastened seatbelt sign was on most of the time. And I was feeling for the people that were in the very back, because you know that usually the back moves more than the front. If it's moving that much in the front, it was like, holy cow, how are we moving in the back? But as a matter of comparison, when I was flying ANA from, uh, which way was it? I think Haneda to Bangkok. It was also moving a lot. Not like, again, nothing dangerous. I've been moving in a way that in most European airlines and in most probably American airlines, the, the seatbelt would have been on. Mm-hmm. The Japanese pilot never put it on. That's interesting. I did notice, actually, I meant to say in the last episode that on one of the things I noticed on American American Airlines, the airline, was that the seatbelt side would go on and then stay on for hours, even when it was utterly smooth. smooth and like it went on without a hint of turbulence. Perhaps because they were talking to somebody, you know, ahead that was experiencing it. But, and then it was down for hours to the point where people just ignored it. I'm wondering if it's not culture. You know, they tell you, please have your seatbelts on all times yeah, because you never know. Just, yeah. Maybe in some cultures, you'd like to say, okay, we're going to put it on because that will remind people. And probably maybe in ANA, they know that people will have it anyway. One would uh, because people were sleeping, and I think that all of them had them over the, the blanket. So at the end of the day, maybe that's just that. But I was just surprised because you remember, I told you guys in the last episode, I was watching the game, so I could see the thing off, and I was really moving, and I was like, he's not putting it on. It's, uh, again, no problem for me. I always have it. You know, yeah, when yeah, I'm same. sitting, I always have it. But it's it was interesting to see the difference of philosophy behind that. And I, Yeah, I always find that flying to Japan or northern, northern Asia and Korea as well – it's generally very smooth because you're going up quite high and you're staying out of the way of the jet stream. So I'm surprised it was it was so bumpy. Oh, the one thing I forgot to mention about this Japanese customer was overly excited. We had a medical emergency during the flight, uh, something that had been solved because we didn't have to reroute. But, you know, they made the call, you know, is there any, any doctor in the flight? This guy happened to be one. No, come on. So not what a great any, story. As soon as he heard that, he went there and gone absent for about 35 minutes, came back, then went back probably an hour and a half later. And I overheard someone has just had like some a little bit of arrhythmias. It was no, apparently nothing grave, but not only he was, but also he, he was catering to another passage. I mean, honestly, man, wow. it's just what fantastic. A, what, a, what an experience. <laughs> I love that. Uh, a few tidbits about what happened on the ground. And again, Frankfurt comes later. You know, I, I landed in, in Tokyo, and, you know, first class customer. They had picked up my luggage in the hall. And so I didn't have to wait at the belt. It was waiting for me. No way. And that person was walking with me towards customs and immigration you already i already i cleared it obviously because it was before which by the way was super very long both times i was in haneda it's really really long i spent 40 minutes to get through immigration mm, both times good. you can see that it's it, it's still learning how to become an international airport let's yeah. let's put it that way uh but so yeah and on the way back it was really funny because on the way back you know i had flown just from bangkok that morning so really, for me, I uh, had eight hours in Tokyo 
And then I had to fly back to Europe with, again, Lufthansa first. So I land at 5.30 in the morning in Canada. Uh, again, super long immigration, even at that time, because a lot of flights are coming at that time. Anyway, and this time, of course, it's no first or whatever, so no one is waiting for me. And a few things happened. My plan was, oh, I'm going to go to Tsukiji markets, mm-hmm. the fish market, and have some sushi there because I'm going to arrive at around 7 a.m. Oh, perfect. Good. Exactly. Uh, so I go out, and what I usually do... I switch as soon as I'm at the airport. Usually I do that in the plane, but I was sleeping at the end, uh, as I told you guys last time. I switched my cash. So I had like Thai bats and I wanted to switch to uh, Japanese yen. And I do that, you know, just at the arrival. You've seen it. The arrival area, there's a lot mm-hmm. of benches. Yeah, there. a lot of stuff going on. I do that. Then I, I want to buy canned coffee. You know, these. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. The, the, I, I'm so in love with canned coffee in Japan. I go to a canned coffee place. And then suddenly, as I was walking back, I hear. Uh, please, uh, Paul Panayotis, please go to information. And I say, Paul Panayotis, Panayotis, guys, is my second name, my middle name that nobody uses, but it's present in my passport. I'm like, what's going on here? I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to the information desk. Well, I had forgotten my wallet on the bench. So the typical Japanese experience, somebody found my wallet, somebody gave it to private security, and it was waiting for me in the information desk with everything inside, lots of cash, all my credit cards, two IDs, and all my also miles cards. Man, I was like, oh, wow. It never happens to me. I was tired and whatever. But yeah, somebody probably picked it up and gave it to information desk. We don't deserve Japan. No. But when it's 6.30 in the morning and... That never happens to you. And you're like, oh, my God, would have it happened anywhere else? I might have, I'm not even going to say stolen, but maybe there was somebody would have found it and don't know what to do with it. Yeah, or maybe yeah. there wouldn't have never been an announcement. And I would only be realized. It's not true. I would have been realized arriving in monorail because I wouldn't have had my Who knows where it would have been by then. But my God, I was like, I'm so glad in Japan. You know, it happened to me two times other times in Japan. I was moving there. So the first day I'm in Japan, I'm going to buy again something in a convenience store and I have my immigration papers. I'm supposed to go to the immigration office to basically get completely registered. I go to the, and I leave my immigration papers on the counter when oh. leaving the convenience store. And then I take the, the subway and I'm like, man, my immigration papers... Well, they had found where I was leaving and, they, and my place, and they had made a phone call, etc. I mean, amazing. Another time at Narita, I go to the stupid story. I go to the bathroom, waiting for my luggage at the belt delivery, and I go to the bathroom and I leave. And I'm not kidding. I leave my passport oh my in gosh. the in the stall. And again, somebody calls me, but it was really. I mean, it was really. Glad. And I went to Tsukiji Market and I had sushis. And then I took a little bit of photographs. And then I went back to Haneda. And I'm in t shirt and shorts because I had just been in Bangkok. It's already 30 degrees Celsius in Tokyo. And I'm like, you know what? I could have changed back, but I said, you know, it's going to be good weather in Europe as well. I'm just going to stay with my t-shirt and i go to the to check in because again i wanted to check in my luggage even on the way back and uh there's one japanese on first and the one german guy Mm -hmm. and for some reason the japanese is busy so i go to the german guy honestly the way he looked at me says you don't belong here (laughs) and i show my passport he looks at it he said oh I saw his face like completely, he was clearly like a trainee, must have been 22. So I really don't have any ill feelings against him, but he was like, what 
no, that doesn't play with the image I would have from someone flying first class. <laughs> that, yeah, but I mean, if the Silicon Valley has taught us anything, it's don't judge a book by its cover. He didn't say anything. I just felt that because he was probably 22. Again, he was really young, clearly a trainee. Maybe he was still not used to that. So I was mostly laughing. I'm like, yeah, fine, don't worry. He was almost at loss of words. He didn't know how to handle me. And I said, at the end, I said a little phrase in German. I said, don't worry, man. Suddenly a lady comes next to me, wants to pick up in my backpack. I'm like, come on, I just have a backpack. It's fine. She walks me. So, you know, I don't know. You have like security. You have the premium lane, which is a bit strange to understand whether or not you can enter. It's very weird. (laughs) But then I was through a private security, a security that I've never seen. It was only me. And she goes with me in that security. So she is a Lufthansa crew and walks with me. So do I need the the liquids? No, the company. No, it's fine. Just go through. I didn't have to do anything. That's just, maybe, you know, they say first class, whatever. I don't know, nothing. And then she walks me to the, to the lounge and she says, um, oh, I'll be waiting for you uh, for your flight. I'm like, it's not necessary. That's mm. fine. The gate will be next door anyway. I go off the lounge when my flight is called. And yes, she was waiting for me at the gate. And she opened the curtain before everybody else. It also looks like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm too show off for me because it's like right in the middle. You have two queues, business class on one side. Economy on the other side, and you go right in the middle, and everybody looks at you, and I'm like, oh my God, this is not what I want. <laughs> so, meaning that the experience at Haneda for first class was really, really solid. ANA Sky Lounge, that's the name of their first lounge because the Lufthansa doesn't have its own. You arrive, you get a menu for different champagne and wine, wow. and you can order, and they're like at your feet all the time. It's absolutely insane. It's super quiet. There's sushis, there's like a ramen bar, there's everything you want. Of course, only what I wanted was uh, to go to the beer dispensers, you know, these auto machines, you, know, you put your glass. Yeah, those are so cool. <laughs> Very cool experience. Took a shower as well there. Interestingly, you know, to take a shower, you give your boarding pass, you give you like the pass with, um, some kind of RFID chip. Yeah. And you only get your boarding pass back when you give back that card. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. But it was great because I'd been all day in Bangkok, flown through the night, watch a game, slept a little bit in the same clothing. So I was like, I really want to change. So I kept the shorts and the t-shirt, but another pair of shorts, another pair of t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> but I had showered. So I was ready to do these 14 hours back to Frankfurt. Anyway, uh, last bit, uh, because I'm talking a lot. I'm sorry, Alex, is Frankfurt. I'm looking forward to this bit. <laughs> Be honest with me. If you buy first class ticket and you are going to transfer in a hub airport from the airline you're buying it from, are you expecting to have like a better service or you think that it's okay that we just, you know, do as usual? No, I would expect fast tracked everything. Look, as a matter of comparison, for instance, Emirates, and you've done, I think, first Mm. class. There's nothing special. The one thing is you have a little bit of fast track internal security and you have access to the first class lounge, but there's no special dedicated service for you. On the other end, Thai, which I've done once in first class in my life, and I was transiting in Bangkok to go into Hong Kong. As soon as you get out, there's somebody waiting for you. They put me on a little cart. The cart flies me through security, gets me to my own private room in first class lounge at Bangkok airport. So these are the two ends, right? As I was hearing so much about the first-class terminal in, in Frankfurt, the fact that they have Porsches and Mercedes that can you know, move you around on the tarmac, everything, I was not expecting that because I think these are only when you are short on time or when you are going from the first-class terminal to the plane. But 
I was expecting something, literally nothing. And the security is so bad there that there's no really fast track. Basically, you have economy and everybody else, which is fine. Here, I'm not complaining. But it took me, what, 50 minutes to clear? 50. Yeah, 50. And I had an hour and 45 minutes. And you know what? In my head, I was like, how do I get to first class? You know, there's a first class terminal. You have to go out, walk through the parking lot, and then go to a first. So it's really made for people that are departing from Frankfurt. But I was expecting, again, I'm not complaining. I was like, "Mm." in terms of pure experience, I found it a little bit blah. I went to a first class lounge, but when you have access to senator lounge, which is below there, like, Business class lounge, senator lounge, and first in Han. Well, there's less people. It's very nice. I'm really here not complaining again, but mm, honestly, and probably I was pissed because so the security man, I mean, security, and I mean, I posted a thing on Facebook and literally everyone we know, everyone you know, Alex, piled on Frankfurt. Really? They said, I hate transiting to Frankfurt. The tunnel between B and Z makes no sense. Oh, yeah. The, thing. It's the second time in my life that I had to transfer from non Schengen to non-Schengen. So guys, that means if you don't live in Europe, you don't have to put your passport. You're just transiting in the airport. Landing from London, flying to Tokyo, I had to enter Schengen only to exit it a minute later. <laughs> what, 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 what kind of layout is that? Yeah. Okay, good. They have the machines and the machines that keep saying this is a show they're pretty good. So it was pretty fast, but still, why am I? And then you have that security. And that security is... So not only is slow, they don't have enough staff, but then it's slow because the people there are like, they want to take their time. By the way, as soon as they see, that's a hint for you guys, if you ever transit there, as soon as they see that you're a little bit like in a hurry, they look at you and say, calm down, oh. back, go back, go back, go back. And they said in German, obviously. That would, uh, the- that would irk me a lot. Yeah. Uh, you know me, Alex, and I don't think all, everybody, of course, listening knows me, but I'm someone that tries to always be... Because I get it. Somebody else might have a bad day. It's stressful to be in this environment. Some passengers might be just asses trying to. So you know what? I'm not going to be that guy. I'm just going to be smiling. Thank you. I say, hello, how are you today? I always say that. It's maybe too much, but I want to everybody have a, a nice day. And to be honest, it also makes my life easier because when you're nice with someone, the probability that they're nice back to you is higher. They don't care. I speak in English. The answer in German. They don't look me in the eyes. I'm like, I'm just asking for civility. I'm not asking to be considered royalty. Let's forget here which class, whether first senator or economy. It's the same security for everyone. They don't care. Like I said earlier in the show, they want you to take all your electronics out. I cheat. You know, I say, yeah, yeah. And I take my laptops, my camera, and I say, I have nothing else. And then I try my luck, which, by the way, worked because they were looking at me with frowning like you had all the electronics. I said, and? And I don't want to be that guy. But I mean, when they treat you like that, you become like an ass a little bit yourself. I mean, really, you know, you go through these, similar to these things where you have to put your hands up, just that the layout is slightly different. It looks like science fiction. You look like you're going to enter a Stargate or something. Yeah. (laughs) But you put your hands up and then they still, no matter every single person, they're still going to like, you know, which again, I'm fine with it. But the thing is, they take their time. The guy's there and he's talking to a colleague and he's talking for a minute. I understand German, so I realize he's not talking at all about anything, you know, important. It's just, just uh... gossiping their day, which, again, is fine. In, I'm not saying that people should be robots, but, you know, like, you make everything that makes my and other passage experience bad. And, again, I've, I've asked people, and all my friends are piling on, saying the layout doesn't make sense. It's stupid. The people are rude. And, look, you have Munich next door, which is probably the best airport in Europe. 
So it's not Germany. It's not because some friends no. of mine were like, oh, the Germans. Like, no, 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 no. Because Munich is one of the best layout. Maybe the layout is due to the architects back in the day, but the people are nice. The security is efficient. The people are civil. It's a corporate culture thing, I think. Yeah, I think I think absolutely think it is. And I don't know if it's a regional thing. I don't really know enough about Germany, but you were giving me this kind of running commentary as all this was happening in real time or near real time. And, you know, like you say, you're a pretty calm and positive guy, but you were not having a fun time. And I was not even stressed out of time because if I were stressed out of time, I would have maybe said something, guys, I'm going to miss my connection or something, which basically could happen a lot of time. I mean, you've experienced Frankfurt. They, they sell you these tickets when you have 55 minutes. I don't know how you can do that, right? And I could see other people were actually really stressed out. And I did it, I did it also to go to Sofia. Same thing. It took me... 40 minutes to clear security plus 25 minutes to walk with including like the mini train and I almost missed my flight. And and they call themselves the hub experts. I really don't get, you know, there's some things I will tell about Frankfurt. You know, that famous tunnel, it was due to the Americans asking them to have a separate terminal for American bound airlines yeah. um, and American flights. But that doesn't excuse the fact that you reach the end of the tunnel and you have stairs and you have one elevator, whereas there's like thousands of people there that they don't care. Honestly, they just don't care. I think. I th yeah, I, and unfortunately, that is a that spreads through an organization like a virus, and it just completely destroys the experience as well. And it's, anyway, again, it, you know, I think as if you're if you're in a first class, you expect not just the experience in the airplane to be good, but the entire experience yeah. as well. So, yeah, that's I haven't been through Frankfurt in a while, in about a year. And I had a tight connection and they made sure that it felt tight. Um, but I need to <laughs> go back I, and try it again. The reason I flew to Frankfurt twice is because Sofia just worked in terms of time. And I knew I hated it. And I always try to go to Munich when I fly uh, Lufthansa. And because I'm a geek, I wanted to fly the 747. From Munich, they only fly the 340. And come on, the 340, I'm really not a fan. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Frankfurt. But, you know, you go on the website when you book and you have all these images of Porsches and whatever. I'm like, oh, wow, this is going to be cool, you know. And again, I'm not complaining. I didn't pay for it. It was my mile. So, yeah, of course, I paid over time, but whatever. And the experience within the flights, Lufthansa was amazing, really amazing. It's Frankfurt that kind of yeah, yeah. breaks it down. But they, I mean, Lufthansa need to address it because it's their passengers by far and away that are being inconvenienced. Not that I was expecting a car would wait for me and no, drive no, no, me to no, the first no, class but terminal. you want it to be at least dignified and good. Maybe if I had been an actual on, which is the above senator level, you need to have 600,000 miles every two years to qualify for that. It's crazy. I would have gotten the car that drove me to the first class terminal. My experience would be completely different. But if I pay full price, it's not my case here. I don't know. It's going to be probably what 8,000 euros or something or whatever. Super expensive. And you have that kind of experience connecting. Ah, Honestly. No, I know. Ridiculous. Especially when you compare with what I had in Japan and I didn't need it. I didn't need to have someone walk me through. Or you remember the Garuda flight when I had also people walking with me at every step of the way. Emirates doesn't offer that kind of stuff. Etihad doesn't offer that kind of stuff. So it doesn't have to be that. But between that and a, such a bad experience in an airport, I'm, 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 I'm a bit disappointed. Not of the Lufthansa flight because that was epic. I love the 748. I loved it inside. The food was fantastic. The crew was fantastic. I want to mention Irene. She was the best crew I ever had. <laughs> yeah, she she also like used to live in Verbier. So, you know, like... Ah, you know, so there was like see, always stories to share. It was fun. The, that Japanese dude who never flown first, all these made it these flights absolutely epic. But Frankfurt, uh, I will just avoid it as much as I can. Yeah, I think it's a warning to everybody that's listening as well. Yeah. Germ Germany has been eliminated from this World Cup. What a shock, actually, because usually yeah. they, they win, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> so they still run this thing, the Fan Hansa. So 747 was renamed instead of Lufthansa Fan Hansa, which means fan, you know, like the fan for football. And there was like a lot of football stuff in the lounges as well, balloons. It was actually pretty cool. That's great. I love it when airlines do stuff like that. Yeah. Need to move on. I promised you in the last episode we'll talk about Wi-Fi. It's going to be the next time because it's very interesting to see how Wi-Fi works across different airlines, different aircrafts, different continents. And Alex has had some experience in the U.S. Will you have Wi-Fi flying BA2? (laughs) (laughs) So one last thing about Lufthansa in general. So Lufthansa was awarded five stars on Skytrax. And honestly, the Skytrax awards are a bit bizarre, aren't they? Yeah, I I think there's a lot of um, alternative influence, if we should be so bold. In that in that program, because yeah, you're right. It's never it's not hugely consistent, is it? Turkish was a four star. Uh, there's only ten airlines that are five stars. I've listed them in a previous episode. Turkish is not always consistent in its fleet. Uh, the experience can be a bit all over the place. It's a good airline though. They basically pulled out. They say we're not going to be accepting any audit from Skytrax anymore. We don't care. I'm wondering if it's not also because of you know Lufthansa deserves five stars for I mean that first class or the seven for it experience. Are they five stars compared to ANA, which is very consistent, for instance? I honestly don't believe it, especially that's a rule book of Skytrack. The consistency of an airline product and services is a critical issue in their final rating. They promise that they look into detail in the reality of the product. Particular attention is applied to the quality and consistency of cabin seating, IFE systems, and associated cabin products. An airline offering less than 80% fleet-wide product consistency may find these conditions will have a negative impact on their final quality rating determination. So that's Skytrack saying that. And the reason they're giving five stars to Lufthansa is because they promise to introduce a new business class when they receive the 777X in 2020. How does that work? So they're getting their five star based on a promise. Yes. It's like carbon credits, right? Yeah. Okay, what the hell? So basically, we can promise flying on the moon in 2050 and give us a five star. I mean, this is a bit like what it sounds like, man. Yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, that kind of takes the credibility away even more, doesn't it? Doesn't seem always very clean. No. No, I think um, there's been a lot of criticism about that, especially in places like Flyer Talk and, and other mm-hmm. uh, um places where people are very detailed about their trip reports. It's a five-star airline. Of course, people get thr- just absolutely thrashed on that and that there's there very little consistency in, in who gets what generally. And this kind of just adds more weight to that argument. I think Etihad at some point had also pulled out, but they went back in. But now Etihad is just losing money on a perpetual basis or something. And <laughs> yeah. What did, what did they just say? One point just 5... a staggering amount. And now they're trying to restructure the organization to stem the flow. It's... I think 1.5 billion lost 2017. That's what they announced. And they had, in 2016, they had almost 2 billion US dollars. Actually, have you seen that they are allowing secondment? They are telling their pilots they can join Emirates on a temporary basis. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Perhaps Etihad will become Emirates within the next few years. Well, Emirates, uh, Tim, sir, Tim, Tim Clark. He keeps saying that it's not the case. He kind of hinted that, you know, the integration with Fly Dubai is getting much tighter. Yeah. But he's kind of hinting at that uh, Etihad is not going to happen. I mean, maybe, you know, the rules were forced them, but I don't know what's the way out for Etihad. Maybe a much smaller, more premium, limited airline just going to, you know, New York and London and Shanghai. And I, I think know. a lot of people are questioning Abu Dhabi as a focal oh, yeah. point, but it's, you know, 
it has the same benefit as Dubai. So I don't know how well that argument stands up. And the new terminal is about to be finished as well. And you're like, yeah. okay, so it's really bad so timing. So now what? Yeah, exactly. Um, talking about postponing, uh, you went to Malta first. I'm very jealous. I've never been to Malta. But you had a kind of an awkward experience in one of these flights, right? Yeah, it was, it was awkward and ended well, very well. I think uh, Malta is a great little airport. The lounge has an open-air balcony. Really nice seats and everything, so you get a great view of the tarmac. Oh but, yeah, you sent me the picture. Oh, it was really cool. Yeah, that was that was great. But but we had an interesting experience because you you walk from the terminal across the tarmac onto the steps of uh, up into the airplane. There's no there's no jet bridges, and we were maybe sixth in the queue to board there, and there was a elderly, very elderly, very disabled man being put mm -hmm. on with a, a wheelchair and this guy, like two or three people in front of me started flipping out and tapping the flight attendant really aggressively on the shoulder as we're all waiting on the stairs to get him while they mm -hmm. they put this this gentleman in his seat. And he's tapping on their shoulder and he's like, hey, what, what, I, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. What? I'm in first class. I should be boarding first. Oh my God. Yeah. No way. I should be boarding first. And he kept saying it and he kept tapping the person on the shoulder and just complaining, going, I'm bored. I should be boarding first. This is ridiculous. And everybody's kind of looking at each other, going, Is he serious? He's serious. This is ridiculous. Eventually, they get this poor chap placed in his seat and we board and he's sort of being ridiculous. And as we walk past, the cabin services manager tries to pull this guy into the galley and say, we need to have a conversation about this. And he just blows right past her and goes to his seat in, of course, business class because there's no first class on a regional flight. So that's the first thing um, or second obvious thing that he did to make him look like an ass. And then everybody's boarding and the again, the, the CSM goes back to try to talk to him again. And he's just dismissive and rude. And he's like, I've got a connection to make. And Then the captain comes back and goes, get off the airplane. Wow. Yeah. And it took maybe five minutes of the captain saying, get off the airplane, get off the airplane, get off the airplane. He wasn't, I mean, he didn't say it exactly like that until the very end. He was very professional, as was the CSM, polite, but firm and saying, you're not traveling on this airplane. And they threw him off. They threw him wow. off the flight. As they absolutely should have. Should, yeah, I agree. Uh, just what a, an entitled jerk. And when you're a gold card holder on British Airways, once a year, or at least when you renew, you get something called a golden ticket. Yes, correct. Which is a physical thing. It can also be done digitally, but it's you only get one, so they're, they're quite precious. And you give them to a member of the crew, be that on the ground or, or in the air. Yeah, when, when above and beyond. You know, exactly, when they've who, done something yeah. truly exemplary and you write down – The flight you're on, the time and date, that their name, if you can have it, if you have it. And it's got your information already pre-printed on it. So I gave it as I left to the to the CSM because I thought she handled the situation brilliantly and did what needed to be done. Because what an entitled ass. Who to to someone who's clearly disabled, what the hell has to be wrong with you to think that that's an appropriate course of action or way to behave? How what is what is he thinking? I mean what <laughs> I don't even understand I, I, how... I don't, I don't get it, right? I mean, I, I've seen entitled people, entitled passengers being really bad, but this is, I think, the worst I've ever heard. I don't... I've never experienced or seen or witnessed... I mean, I, I, we all see you know, passengers, passengers being jerks or, or, or yeah, just yeah. rude, complaining people. This was like nothing else. 
just horrible. And he was going to miss his connection, which made me even happier. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, come on. At the end of the day, I mean, don't just shot and pointer <sighs> right there. It was I just, don't. I don't. Ugh. I don't. I just honestly, I just don't get it. No, I don't. I don't know. There's something. You know, and there was a small smattering of applause that when, when the guy was thrown <laughs> off. You know, it was it was just. Oh. I don't. I don't. I don't get it. Honestly, I don't. I just. I mean, yeah, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. Oh well. Oh, well. Um, but how was Malta? Wonderful. Really surprising place. Uh, I was captivated by it. I would definitely go back there. It was not at all what I expected it to be. We will cover obviously the airport. That's we. That's a good thing. We haven't traveled these past two months. We have a lot of uh, airports to cover. Yeah. Actually, we have a whole list. Here is Monterrey. Yeah. Monterrey. How was the airport? How was Monterrey? Yeah, Monterrey is, is a great city. I think um, I can't remember if I said this, but it's quite an industrial place. It's not. It's the third biggest city in Mexico, but it's not a place where a lot of tourists go. It's a little bit like perhaps um, Pittsburgh or Marseille or something like that. Maybe even Frankfurt. Just a, uh, a, but a very beautiful, surrounded by by big epic mountain ranges, really, really beautiful. I loved my time there. The food was amazing. The people were so friendly, and I don't speak a lick of Spanish. My favorite story, which I'll come to, involved that. But I landed in Monterey from Miami, and I was exhausted. There's you know, in, in, unusual airplanes on the ground and unusual airlines. It's not the busiest airport in the world or even in Mexico, reasonably small, but functional. So I had about 10 million passengers last year, which isn't, which isn't huge. But you go in there and the immigration is relatively straightforward. You have to fill in a form. If you're, if you're flying to Mexico, this caught me off guard. You have to fill in a paper immigration form, which they did not give us to on the airplane. It caught just about everybody off. <laughs> And then you have to go through this this customs thing where you again have to fill out another form, which they also didn't give us give us on the airplane. Unless you're Mexican. Last time I was in Mexico was probably what ten or more, twelve, whatever. I don't remember. And I remember which airport was it? I'm trying to. Never mind. I think in Yucatan. So you know the very touristy place. You know where Cancun and all these places are. The airport as a non-Mexican, you had to press a button. At the bottom would actually show you red or green. Yes. If you were green, it you would basically clear super fast. And you were red, you would have to get I guess search or whatever. Did you have a that? Yes, exactly <laughs> the same experience. Exactly. And it's 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 supposedly random. And yeah, yes, and you, you have this know. this this custom screening that you go through where they search your bags. I mean it's like a little portable screening thing. And it was like it added an extra eight seconds to the process. Because it's not a it, it was like maybe I don't know, nine o'clock at night. So it wasn't exactly a busy time. And then you're out into the airport and it's about a 40 minute drive from the airport into downtown Monterey where I was staying and very, very easy. But the airport itself is reasonably recently renovated. It's, it's more than comfortable. American Airlines fly there frequently to Dallas and Miami and United, but it's not that well connected to the US other than that, surprisingly. But then you've got Aeromexico, who flies to about 15 places in the world, including LA and JFK. But then you've got uh, Interjet, who have uh, the Sukhois. And that was the first time I'd seen the Sukhoi Superjet in person. Oh, wow. I'm jealous. I've never Very seen Very elegant uh, little looks, airplane. Looks like a looks little like. mini Dreamliner. No, win no, <laughs> no winglets. Looked really, really cool. It seems that a lot of the airplanes nowadays look like mini Dreamliners. Yeah, they do. I think that's kind of set the standard in, in, in elegance, hasn't it? But yeah, so 
I flew in and out on American or one of their subsidiaries, and the check-in process was was easy. Security was was easy. It's it's one of those nice, small, compact, efficient airports. They had a lounge, but I didn't really spend that much time in there. And it's sort of one long terminal when you're airside mm-hmm. with gates on either side. You can stroll up and down. There's not much to do there other than that. Decent coffee shops and all, all of that. Some interesting planes coming in and out, some really weird cargo airlines and really weird cargo planes like circa 1950s prop jobs going in and out, running cargo from Monterey to some other Central American country. That was kind of fun to see. And of course, liveatc.net, I could I could listen to them while I was sitting <laughs> on the ground. But the best thing about that city, well, the best story was I picked up a taxi from the hotel I was staying in. And I don't speak maybe more than 20 words of Spanish. And my, and my taxi driver didn't speak any English. But we talked for 45 minutes using Google Translate. Wow. So I would talk into the app and it would speak to him. And he would do the same. Obviously, he couldn't type because he was driving. We talked about football. We talked about the World Cup. We talked about Mexican politics. We talked about food in Monterey. We talked about the uh, the Champions League final, which was happening that day for 45 minutes. It, you know, it was obviously much harder work than a normal conversation, but the people there were so friendly and wanted to talk that he was just as willing as I was to use this technical intermediary to chat about things that we were both passionate about. That is amazing. Yeah. So to language is no longer a barrier to, to... I mean, we're going to live soon enough in a Star Trek world with, you know, you can talk whichever language you want and the other person gets translated with like in peace, whatever. But I mean, this is so cool. Man. Oh, it was so it was cool. great. It just, it it made the trip. And that was reflective of the, of the entire experience I had with people in Monterey, whether they were, you Fantastic. know... Yeah, it was just great. I, I really enjoyed it. I cannot wait. And I think I might actually have an opportunity to go back there soon. I'm so excited about that because I was captivated by it. I loved my time there, which is why, because the U.S. wasn't qualifying for the World Cup, I was happy to root for our our neighbors to the south in, in this World Cup. And unfortunately, like you say, at the top of the show, they lost. But yeah, what a place. What a place. Funnily enough, the weirdest connection there is from, I think it's Aeromexico, fly four times a week, Monterey to Narita. No way. On a Dreamliner, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's one. That's something I should do once then, because I said at the very beginning of the year, if you remember, guys, the first episode that I wanted to travel a bit differently, which hasn't really happened. I've done a few cities I hadn't done, but I mean, work just always takes over. I'm often enough in Japan that I could just like, I mean, just like, it's like probably 12 hours or something, but I would do it. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. I loved it. Uh, I would. I would strongly recommend it. It's not... You know, it's not beaches and it's not the kind of extraordinary megalopolis that, that Mexico City is, but it was not to be patronizing, but it was it was charming. It was utterly charming. I need to try. You know, that's, that's a good thing between Alex and, and me is we are going to different cities and we always make each other envious of like, oh, I need to try yeah, this, you know, and I need to try this. Added to the list. <laughs> so um, would you do layovers there? I would go into Monterey itself, even though it's 40 minutes because the airport is is pretty small. But yeah, absolutely. Any excuse to get back there. <laughs> well, I hope you get that uh, opportunity to get back as you, as you as you mentioned. That would be, uh, that would be good. And maybe I'll just be in Tokyo 
nearby nearby nip over to gonna, uh, oh let's take the yeah, the, yeah. next plane to see alex in monterey because uh, <laughs> i speak spanish I, mean, I forgot my spanish i used to live in costa rica so i speak spanish ish uh but with a tequila or two i'll be very good yeah, yeah, spanish fine. you can name me your uh, google translator <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay that was a long episode guys as we said it's going to be released probably when the world cup is about to end so maybe in the next episode you won't have to bear with us talking about the world cup for those who don't like soccer slash football sorry for that also i'm glad we're finishing the episode because at least my office is becoming super hot because we have this weather in the uk and and like the Boeing uh, 747 and the Boeing the Dreamliner 787, there's no air vents in my office. So I, I want to go right now in an A320 after two air vents going on my face because it's really, really hard. <laughs> really, oh, my God. Also, it's the 4th of July. So again, Alex, I hope you do some barbecue. I, you know, I had a, actually had a burger in that first uh, Lufthansa. It was pretty good. I mean, too, too much mayo, probably to hide the fact that I had a burger like 10 hours in the flight. It yeah. would be oh, a bit dry. Gosh. But today I'm I'm looking forward to actually do some burger on the barbecue myself. Probably better than Lufthansa first class. It tells you a lot. We're better than Lufthansa first class, man. <laughs> and guys, like that guy who shouted Fuji, 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 always take the window seat. Be the dreamer in the window seat like Alex and I do it. You know what? I was landing from Bangkok to Haneda. It was 4.30 in the morning. I opened, I undimmed the window on, on the Dreamliner seat and... You know, you fly from the south from basically Okinawa up to Haneda, up to Tokyo. And I've seen Japan waking up, the sun rising, misty mountains. It's one of the most breathtaking things oh, I've ever I, seen yeah. in my life. Guys, always, always oh, a window. So until we record next, have the window, guys. Safe yeah, travels. Safe travels, guys. That was uh, beautiful. Yeah.